Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. Hello loves, welcome to another episode of Spiritual Grit. Hope you are having a fantastic day wherever you are. And if you're not, just know that everything is temporary and this too will pass. So hopefully you are in a good space, or if not, maybe you're listening to this episode to find a little shift in energy that feels heavy or unwanted. Um, So welcome, welcome. And today's episode, I have a few things I have in mind, but let's turn to Hafez to start us off. And this one is called Dropping Keys. The small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage, who has to duck his head when the moon is low, keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful, rowdy prisoners. love that. I think about the small man being our egos and how we tend to trap ourselves, imprison ourselves in boxes that have been dictated to us by our culture, by society, about who we're supposed to be instead of being open and alive to who we are meant to be there's a distinction. And so the sage is, I'd like to believe our higher self, our intuition that knows better that says, Hey, you know what? You are meant for more. You are bigger than this, than how you're living. And so I'm going to drop you a little key and maybe you can catch it, find it, put it in the lock and free yourself from the prison you've created. I'm going to read that again. Dropping keys. The small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage who has to duck his head when the moon is low keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful rowdy prisoners. And so for me, the image that comes to mind of the rowdy prisoners, it's, it's your true authentic self that is dying to come out. But ego has put it in a prison because maybe your true divine self, your, the rowdy prisoner within you is too weird or too outlandish, too much, too freaky. Like, you know, who, who the heck are you to do that or to be that or to say that, you know, what gives you the right? And these questions that come to 
to our minds or put there by other people, right? Um, we don't, we don't make that up. Uh, someone or something or some message in our culture says, yeah, who do you think you are? You know, what right do you have to say this or that? And so then we shrink and we, we're like, oh, we don't want to offend or we don't want to rock the boat um, because we want to fit in or we want to please others. And so many questions come to mind right now, which is one, at what cost? At what cost do we do this? Um, and then the other is, well, who, who gets to say what we can and can't do, who we can and can't be? You know, these other voices, these other, even external people, why are we giving our power to them? Why do we let them dictate what we're supposed to be? You know, these are questions to consider because without who we are being, this world gets very boring, very full of very much full of conflict as it is now. Um, and I feel like if everyone would just shine their own true light would be who they are deep within when no one's looking, you know, that self, you know, that deep down in, in your chest, like almost in the pit of your belly, the solar plexus, really, if you were to open that up, and to let that out, how much more brilliant this world would be, how much more loving and full of hope and happiness would it be? I mean, you know, people don't trust that. People don't trust that who they're being is something worth sharing with the world. Because as little kids growing up, we were, we were told, we were taught that it's not safe for us to be us. You know, it's not something that is welcome or understood. Um, I know for myself, and I mentioned this in the last episode, being the oldest, the firstborn of immigrant parents, it was a challenge where um, I was breaking new ground. You know, I was like, it's just so funny. I have, um, my senior, my senior year of high school, uh, the, my parents bought an ad in the yearbook, full page ad, cause you know, everyone was doing it. And, uh, and my dad, my dad did wrote it, I guess, um, you know, like best wishes for our trailblazer. And then, you know, um, pathfinder, all these things. And it was just funny. They were all names of cars. (laughs) And he thought it was the funniest thing. And I was like, thanks, dad. But you know, but it's true. You know, I, I was the first to do things in the United States. I was the first to, you know, break, break my parents into what American culture is. And that's not easy being a a child, the firstborn of, of immigrants. And so as a kid, when I say a kid, like from really, really little until about, you know, first or second grade, that, you know, that is when your subconscious is shaped, when the foundation of who you're being um, 
gets shaped. So during those early years from birth to age seven, when our subconscious, we're just walking subconsciouses, basically, there's no filtrations, no filter system, no, you know, ego, really, it's just, you are a sponge, you suck, you suck it in, you know, and, um, and that's where you get your sense of, of right and wrong, and what's good and what's bad, what is of value, what's not of value, um, what behaviors are acceptable and unacceptable. And so growing up during that time, that time of my life, you know, as a kid, you don't know, you don't know anything. You just are, you're just who you are. Right. And when I exhibited certain behavior, whether it was like un quote unquote unladylike, you know, where I would want to play with the boys, for example, I was very much a tomboy. Um, I wasn't interested in like girly things, except for maybe streamers on my banana seat bicycle. I mean, that was, I think, the extent of my girliness. <laughs> but um, yeah, I wanted to ride dirt bikes with the boys in the, on my street. I wanted to actually play in the dirt. And I just remember getting this message from the adults around me, not just my parents. Um, my, my grandparents live with us, and there were a lot of titas and titos who came to visit um, and the, the message that I received over and over again was that I wasn't behaving the way I was supposed to. I wasn't behaving like a girl. I wasn't behaving ladylike, you know, the way I sat was, you know, legs spread wide. And then I got the look, I can see your underwear <laughs> comment, or even just my mom looking like, and it's so funny as a kid, I was like, why are we even looking there? <laughs> you know um so it was this constant battle of me wanting to do things that wasn't quote unquote appropriate for a little girl um you know i played with my brother a lot who's 3 years younger than me we played you know with his little green army guys we played with matchbox cars we we played you know cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers, you know, all those kinds of things. And a lot of it is because, well, one, I didn't, there were no girls, um, on my, in my neighborhood, there was one girl, but that's, that's another story. Um, and, and yeah, you can hear my dog barking in the background, <laughs> but you know, this is real life, my friends, this is real life. And we're not going to edit real life because we want folks to know that being human has unexpected turns. It has surprises and perfection does not exist. You know, there's, there's editing to create this illusion of perfection of flawlessness. And that doesn't really serve anybody. It really doesn't. Um, and so, you know, I like to share my gifts, my thoughts, my teachings, who I'm being with as little filter as possible. Now, sometimes on Instagram, you know, they have some fun filters to like change the color of the scenery, you know, that kind of stuff. That's just fun. But I don't edit my life. I try to be as true and as authentic as possible. Um, so anyway, getting back to what I was saying about, you know, growing up and being a kid, my authentic self was suppressed. And it was this constant battle of 
my inner self, my divine self, my authentic self wanted to come out. And the adults around me were like, no, you can't. And that's not appropriate. And that's not what little girls do. And, you know, you need to fit in and you need to do what you're told. That's the other thing. It's like, you need to, in order to be a good girl, you need to obey what I say, or you'll get punished. And punishment was no fun, my friends. You know, in the 70s, mm, we had, we had things. Well, my fellow, my fellow Filipino um, folks, and maybe some, some folks from the, the Latino community, or maybe just anyone of color with immigrant parents. Um, back in the 70s, the punishment was the belt. You know, it started off with the slipper, you know, mom's slipper, which is in Tagalog, it's the chinelas. You know, you get a little whack on the butt. Um, but then if, and then it just escalated. So there were levels of punishment, uh, of corporal punishment. And so, you know, the belt was like the ultimate. Yeah. You don't want that because that means you're really in trouble. Also, it hurts like hell. Um, and then if there was the like super maximum level of trouble, then you got the buckle end of it, which I don't know. That's, I don't, I don't know if I ever got that. <laughs> if I did, I'm blocking it out. Um, I don't know if my brother ever got it, if, you know, who knows, who knows. But the point being that the true self that I am was beat down, literally in some senses, into submission, into hiding. And so I, yeah, I just did what I could to survive and did what I was told and just secretly let my authentic self out in little spurts and little drips. Um, whether it was through journaling, I did a lot of journaling, especially in high school, uh, or if it was in poetry that was coded you know, with abstract language, with metaphors that people didn't know what it was representing, <laughs> you know, all those, all those things. Um, sometimes it was just in little rebellions in what I wore that nobody re would really notice. You know, I went to an all girls Catholic school for high school and I would wear, you know, boxer shorts under my plaid skirt that was not part of the uniform. <laughs> when not, not acceptable. I rolled up my skirt as high as I could without getting in trouble. You know, I wore Doc Martens when there was a specific shoe, I think that they had wanted us to wear, but a lot, enough people were wearing Doc Martens that we were like, never mind. Um, you know, just little things, little things that felt rebellious, but really it was just me, my true self wanting to come out. And it's so interesting to think about the idea of rebellion, because what we're doing is we are freeing the prisoners of ourselves out into the world that doesn't want us to be who we are because we're not fitting the box. We're not fitting the prison. And so it's just interesting to think about how rebellion as a word, as a concept carries different meanings, different layers, different perspectives where, you know, 
I know in high school, like you're such a rebel was, was sort of the, was a cool thing. You know, it was, it was the teenage angst and you're, you're challenging the system, you know, but then you put it in a context of race, for example, and you know, the, the black lives matter movement, for example, like do people see that as a quote unquote rebellion against the status quo? Maybe. They're not using that language, but what if we did? What if we use that word rebellion? Does it carry a different meaning? Does it, does it feel like a good thing, like a cool thing? Or does it feel like an uprising in a negative way? You know, like the rebellion against, you know, what we're familiar with feels threatening. It feels like a bad thing, like it's negative the opposite of cool just something that that came to mind that I'm thinking about and so coming back to this idea of our true authentic selves being prisoners you know what are the keys that can help us unlock ourselves from the prison how can we release that deep self within that we know is there, but it, it, it doesn't feel safe to come out. So here's a few things. One, we need to make things feel safe for us, right? And so how do we do that? We look into building self-trust. And how do we do that? We look into building our self-worth and our self-love. There's so many layers to this, you know, and that's just the one part of keeping ourselves safe, right? Can we create a sense of safety and security within ourselves so that we can then come out, right? That's the big piece. The big piece is creating safety by stepping into trust trust in self, trust in the universe to create self-love. Because when you go out there and you want to be your true authentic self, there are going to be people there that are like, uh-uh, nope, you can't do that. Who are you? Who, 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 how dare you? Who are you to be that person or that, that expression of your soul? Uh-uh, you don't fit the box. And what I find is that when you are solid in your self-love and you understand that your worth is inherent, that it is there, that you're worthy just by being alive, that's necessary. That foundation is necessary in order for you to face those people and be like, no, you know what? You don't get to say who I'm supposed to be. I'm not giving my power to you anymore. And that's, you know, easier said than done. It takes a lot of work. And I'm not saying that you need to have a solid foundation of self-love and self-worth in order to, before you can express your truest self. No, it, it all happens simultaneously. It's, uh, it's definitely a pr- process a work in progress where 
as you move on this journey towards unlocking yourself from this prison of ego, of society's expectations of who you're supposed to be versus who you are, as you work towards that, the self-love is, is something you work on also. The worth is also part of that work. And so, you know, thinking about how to do that. I mean, that's just step one, right? Creating a sense of safety. Then the next step is to actually step out into the world, expressing yourself. And for a lot of us who have held our truest selves in for the longest time, we're like, Ooh, how do we, how, how do we do that? I, I don't, mm, what? Mm, I'm scratching my head. Like I have this feeling of, I know who I am deep, deep down inside. Right. And then I step out into, into that zone of, all right, I've created the safety, a safety pad for me. Now what, how do I, how do I express myself? (laughs) What, what do I sound like? Do I, do I have a voice? What, what does the voice sound like? What does it want to say? You know? And so all these questions start to come up and, and that's the beautiful part of exploring, of getting to know yourself again, of reacquainting yourself with you, your, your true divine light. And then of course, after that, it's like, okay, well then how do I share that? You know, because I know that when I share who I am, who I'm being out in the world, once I figure out like how to, you know, what, what is that? Do I, do I write poems? Do I dance? Do I just dress differently? Do I talk to different people? You know, once you figure out that, which is not easy, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful opportunity, a beautiful space to explore then, then, you know, you can't keep that to yourself. You know, the reason we're here is to share our gifts. And so how do you share who you're being, who you are out in the world? And there are so many options, but we got to start with step one first, safety, right? How do you create a sense of safety and security and a support system for yourself? We can start by looking at the root of our beliefs that we are not safe. Where does that come from? And can we heal it? Can we uproot the limiting beliefs and allow ourselves to plant new seeds where we believe that we are safe? So much here, my friend, so much, but I am keeping this short because I want to unpack each of these things in the coming episodes. So just to uh, recap, I guess, (laughs) thinking about how we imprison ourselves, how do we imprison our true light, our deepest selves and why, you know, where does that come from? Take a look at where you were, what messages you received when you were really, really little up until age seven 
and take note of the behavior patterns that you have engaged with from that point on till now. And then you can find the root. So the first thing is to find the root. Then we can create safety. We can create self-love and self-worth while also exploring who we are, what our voices sound like, who we're being. Whew. All right, my friends. Well, I am going to wrap up our very quick episode with another poem by Hafez. This is called The Same Suntan. Burn every address for God. Any beloved who has just one color of hair, one gender, one race, the same suntan all the time, one rule book. Trust me when I say, that man is not even half a god and will only cause you grief. Hmm. So we are all things, the variety of us, the rainbow of us, beautiful gift to this planet. And so friends, until next time, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. If you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos. By signing up for my newsletter, which will be more light to your inbox, go to suryagiyan.com slash subscribe.